It was after mother of two, Bex Chapman, went through a difficult relationship breakup that she turned to a drug she'd sworn she wouldn't try again. And just as soon as she started smoking methamphetamine, something she'd tried once as a teenager six years prior, life began to unravel. She became involved with gangs and even started dealing the drug. But if you meet Bex now, a building apprentice in Upper Hutt, you'd likely never envisage her past as an addict, for which she sought help in 2020. She's sharing her story now, hoping to inspire others who are on their journey to recovery. She's with me now. Bex, good morning. Welcome. Hi. Great to meet you. What is motivating you to talk so openly about your life? Uh, There's a couple of reasons. One reason is as a mum, I... So I only had one child in recovery, and then when I got clean, I had another. I saw a lot of mothers lose custody of their children in addiction and um, end up with lengthy sentences in prison and being separated from their children. And I feel very passionate about influencing other mothers to get clean for their children. Um, Also, I like to... Um, encourage other women to give construction a go and um, yeah, just really like to show people who are stuck in addiction that there is such a beautiful life available in recovery after the use of drugs. Uh, what's the number of women in construction now? It is growing. It was very, very low and I know there's been some deliberate campaigns to boost the numbers. Is it on the rise significantly? Yes, it's definitely on the rise and um, the company BCITO, who I am training with, they have put a lot of procedures in place to help encourage more women Mm. to give it a go. Um, So they definitely want to increase the numbers. I think it's something as little as 6%. Wow. Yeah. That's probably more than it was even a fairly short time ago. Yes, it definitely is. Let's let's go back uh, and thank you for it. Should we just start at the beginning? It's always a good place to start, right? <laughs> yeah. So your, your childhood and family life growing up, was it a supportive, loving home? Was it not perhaps the perception some of us expect for someone who's going to struggle with addiction? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a loving Christian home with, um, you know, strong family environment. I remember we went to Christian camp every summer up in Matamata. And uh, my parents were both very present, very loving, very supportive and encouraging of like having um, a future and the possibilities that, you know, your career opportunities. My mum was very, very protective. Having daughters now myself, I understand that that was coming from a place of love, um, quite strict and yeah, just not what people would picture someone with a methamphetamine addiction would come from. Is there anything from that time, and no no reflection at all on your parents or your family, but so often um, going through those difficult years growing up, later when we look back, later in therapy, later um, when we're reflecting, we, we, can see some, we can see some of the gaps perhaps that drugs or alcohol or anything else might, um, might find a way in over. I mean, was there, was there anything you felt growing up where you've thought, this is why I chose to use? Definitely a series of unfortunate events. Um, I was sick when I started college and missed a lot of college. 
um, and spent a lot of time in hospital with asthma. And so for me, I found that hard to get back into school and to see critical a, time, a future. Eh? Yeah, critical definitely. time for building yeah. friendships and navigating all that Yeah, stuff. and I think a lot of that as well, the friendships. Mm. So when I did go back to school, I didn't really fit in anywhere. Um, and the um, I, I found a crowd of people who were smoking weed. And that was my gateway that was, to that, that world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what was the circumstance in which you first did try meth, but just once? Was it just straight experiment? Yeah, it was just a drunken night with a few friends. We were young. Um, one person had some of it, and he was known to do heavier drugs, and he offered it to us. And yeah, it was just an opportunity at the time. I knew it was so bad. Um, and had always said I would never do it, but it was just an opportunity at the time with a group of friends, and I guess and I wanted it. to fit in, yeah. Yeah, a bit of peer pressure, and, and just mm. in the moment, because yeah. you're 16, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff happens, and you think later, but that but that was it. But you had an awareness, you knew it was addictive, you knew it was not a good idea, Yeah. and was that key to, okay, once and that's it? Um, I think there was a few factors for me not trying it again straight after that one of them would probably be the lack of availability to a young 16 year old um that it wasn't really a common thing back in 2005 for my area of people to to have lots of methamphetamine yeah Um, in those parts of the country now the police will say it's more accessible than cannabis that's the challenge right for so many communities but where you were and when you were, yep. it was pretty hard to get hold of. Yeah, it wasn't something that people would pull out at a party every mm. weekend. Um, and So might you have, had it been available, might you have tried again at that time? Looking back, I think yes. Wow. If, if I had it in my face more often, mm. if it was a more, more common thing, it would have been harder for me to stay away from it. So the other thing that didn't happen and again um, there's limitations to my knowledge um, for some people it seems to be from interviews I've done an, almost an immediate addiction that's it that you you want to chase what that was again and again yeah it wa- it wasn't for you an immediate overwhelming addiction no it was definitely um, uh, uh, when I smoked it it was a sensation that I liked. But it wasn't, uh, I need more of that. I'm going to sell my soul to have more of that now. It wasn't that for me. So what? where does, where does life go? You're early 20s, still a young woman, 22. Yep. And where is life at when you do go back? Um, I had a young child, my daughter, and I had gone through a difficult breakup with her father. And um, I had some strong body image issues. I was... Um, quite anorexic at the time and taking other drugs to suppress my hunger. I was training a lot to um, fight in the ring for Muay Thai kickboxing, so I was really passionate about that. But I think as well I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of yeah body image issues and um, low self-esteem and um, again a sense of wanting to fit in with people um especially yeah after the breakup i think i turned to you know going to town and drinking and clubbing and um that kind of opened me up to that environment so for you it's environment isn't it yes yeah. it's, it's who you're with and want to be part of yeah that yeah. seems to have been the case twice right yeah in both cases 
Was there a moment before, or did you just again in the moment just smoke again and, and things were <clears> off? I actually remember I was in a car with a very good-looking man, <laughs> and he offered it to me, and I didn't say no. And then he gave me some to take home, and I had a f- friend, and we had that together. And, yeah, it was just really downhill from there really fast. What did addiction feel like if it was that quick? Can you explain to people what the hold is when you're in it? Um, it just becomes your everyday life. For me, it was really quickly going from having a job and a, a good routine and... Um, discipline training for the kickboxing and good people around me um very quickly my life was pretty much revolving around using and people who were using uh, and I lost my job and um I guess you just sink in the quicksand really fast and I guess for me it happened so fast that by the time I realized this was controlling my life I was in so deep that I didn't really know how to get out. Does focus narrow? Life focus just narrows and narrows and narrows to one thing. Yeah. Mm. I always had my daughter Mm -hmm. and I always really tried to be a good mum and loved her wholeheartedly and did the mothering. Um, But when she was at school, I would be using. Ah. Yeah. And then I would have her in the afternoon, you know, and I would... You'd stop again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't be yeah using 24 hours a day Mm. I was still I guess at that time a functioning mum as well Um, but it definitely snowballed beyond that as well to the point that I couldn't function how did could could you explain a little more about how that happened when I began selling Mm. um, that opens your life up to gangs um, police raids um, which also um, I ended up on a curfew 24 hours a day where the police could turn up any time of the day and knock on the door and you had to present yourself. So then as a mum, how do you be a functioning mother when you're not allowed to leave your house? Can't go grocery shopping, can't go to school. It just became so unmanageable that, um, yeah. Did you have a moment where you thought, I will lose my daughter? Did that enter the head? I guess I did, but I also was in denial and felt such a strong love for her that I had promised myself I wouldn't let it get that far. Mm. Um, I look, I I look back a lot and have a lot of guilt and shame over, you know, still taking that risk. Um, I've done a lot of therapy to try and learn to forgive myself for that. Still taking the risk as a mother, um, I can't explain it. It just had a hold over me. Yeah. 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 There's a key moment, and so often it's like that sliding doors moment, right? It could have gone either way, literally, in your case, it could have gone either yeah, way. Yeah, the penny drop. Yeah, and it was a cop, wasn't it, who just made a statement to you about this was to do when <clears> you were still on the curfew, was it? Uh, I was constantly getting arrested for breaching my curfew. I would leave when my daughter was at school, or um, and by that time I had people who were helping me, my mum or a close friend of mine helping me get her to school and back, kept changing my bail address and um yeah just keep getting arrested and on the last time I got arrested was within the same week that Orangatamariki had got involved 
and so everything was crashing down on me. I felt like I was drowning and I was in the Wellington police cells and the police officer um, was kind of like, you're going to go to prison tomorrow. And they had been trying to oppose my bail and get me put in prison for a long time, and um, which I, I deserved, right? Um, I just knew that was it. I didn't have any more chances. And I broke down and um, I guess he just saw something in me and he said to me if you really want to change your life there's three things you can do uh one of them is you need to be honest with your mum because I had been denying anything and um obviously every time I get arrested they would ring her and I needed someone to pick up my daughter from school or um they they knew um I needed to check into a rehab and get help for my addiction and I needed to change my lawyer because the lawyer who was representing me was not very good and a little bit corrupt, I think, at the time. So those were the three words of advice. And I um, had been denying to the police as well that I had any involvement, any addiction. And I completely said, yeah, I have a drug problem and I want help. And um, my mum instantly got on the phone to a rehab centre in Upper Hutt called Red Door Recovery who I had been in contact with in the past but kept disappearing from the radar because I wasn't ready. And, um, yeah, she really organised that for me. And I reached out to a different lawyer. What was the experience of rehab? Rehab. Red Door Recovery was probably one of the best and hardest times of my life. I absolutely loved the program. I loved the people there. Um, I loved my fellow peers in in the house with me. It was a small house. I had four people there at the same time, and all 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 of those people are still good friends of mine to this day. Um, the program was amazing, but it was my first time away from my daughter, and I really struggled with that a lot. I also struggled with being clean and having the reality of what my life had become and the things that I had done and the charges that I was facing. Many, many addicts will say that's the hardest part. Yeah. Whatever you're using, and Lordy, we all use something. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you're yeah. using uh, to buy yourself a bit of headspace or to, to push things back, mm-hmm. there's nothing now, and it's just yeah. you in these realities. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember we would do yoga, and it was such a peaceful, calm environment, and I would get so emotional. I would just be all tears and emotion and really couldn't deal with it because um, I just hadn't stopped for years. I hadn't stopped to feel feel. reality. Yeah, yeah. And... Were you able to stick it with your relapses or were you able to stick it? And, and if so, how have you built things since? It's four years now, isn't it? Wow. Three and a half, yeah. Three and a half, year. How did, how did you build things? Not just the rebuilding of a life, and we'll talk about construction in a moment. Yeah. But the rebuilding of a person. Yeah. Who, yeah, absolutely. Who you had to see, you know, in yeah. the cold light of day. So early days, the um, classes that I did at Red Door really helped unravel a few things. I absolutely had no idea who I was or what I wanted to be or if I even would have the freedom to be what I wanted to be with my charges. Um, Yeah. 
you're just one foot in front of the other. Yeah. I reached out to my family, mm. my immediate family, who I had become so estranged from, mm-hmm. and they were all amazing. Mm. Um, and I just had this strong vision of my daughter, and the love for her really got me through. Mm. I just was desperate to be a better mum. Mm. Yeah. So when did the because the apprenticeship your um, it, it must have actually been fairly soon after rehab that you started the apprenticeship, I think, and. How did that door open? Okay, so I actually reached out to my older brother from rehab, who was probably a bit sceptical at the time. Um, He had just built a new home, and um, him and his wife at the time had a studio under their house, and he had come to see me at rehab. Um, Actually, his was one of the only numbers I remembered off by heart. He'd never changed his number his whole life. And I rang him one night and I spent about an hour and a half telling him my life story. And I think he really appreciated that, the honesty. Um, and he came to see me and then we started talking. I needed a safe place to go from rehab. Um, I had friends who I could go live with, but I wanted the best opportunity to keep custody of my daughter. Um, so they agreed to let me go live with them. Um, I was facing charges. I was still on curfew. I ended up um, going on home detention. So I was on 24-hour home detention. Um, my brother helped me kind of unravel a lot of things. I had no no bank account, no driver's license. Just my life had really gone to crap. Um, <clears throat> but my sister-in-law also really helped me. I had to learn how to be a mum clean. Um, and my brother owned... Uh, a construction company building residential homes and um, to have some time out on bracelet he was allowed to supervise me and go help on his construction sites So what did you start by doing? (laughs) Digging You've got the Mai Tai fitness (laughs) That's a start (laughs) Yeah, digging holes, um, wheelbarrows filled with gravel Mm. all the hard labour um and was the physical stuff actually its own kind of therapy in a way? Definitely helped yeah. me process my thoughts yeah. while keeping busy. Yeah. You can't just sit there and be tunnel vision on the the negative or the um, the what ifs if you go to jail. And, and, and it kind of manages. You can do a little bit of thinking, then you've got to concentrate, yeah. a little bit of thinking. And yeah. It's physical, yeah. which is good for stress levels, yeah. good for adrenaline levels, all that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so the physical activity actually releases some serotonin, mm-hmm. which is um, like a chemical that you love right addicts love it um and so that really helped i think it was about three or four months after being released from rehab that i was allowed to i had earned some trust with probation to be allowed to go and do that so i started with the hard labor and i think yeah i just really had to prove myself everyone loves serotonin by the way yes (laughs) (laughs) it's a goodie we're allowed that and then getting into the apprenticeship yeah yeah like again the one thing i am hearing i'd like your comment is the system almost working the way we hope it will to help someone who's ready and determined to change to change? I'm kind of hearing that, you know, things could have gone differently. Judge could have said no, you know. Or, or is, is, there, is part of your story, if someone is ready, don't let the system get in the way? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think as well the New Zealand um, justice system is adapting and learning nobody knows 
how to fix methamphetamine addiction or criminal activity that's related to it, right? So I guess it's a learning curve for even the government agencies. The um, judges. Yeah. Sometimes you have the discretion. The police yeah. have the discretion. Yeah. But also I have seen chronic relapses mm. who desperately want the chance and get the chance and ruin it. Mm. So I guess there's a really fine line for them between, um, you know, actually having someone who, you know, from day one getting clean, I've never looked back. Or people who can get clean and have the support and the opportunities, but they just keep going round and round. The, the vicious cycle. Mm. So, yeah. So the apprenticeship. Um, what stage are you are you at now? Because then, then you're, you're hooking up with BCIT, the um, training industry organisation. I think, although they keep changing what they are. <laughs> but anyway, just talk me through what's been involved and where you're at in your apprenticeship. Sure. Let's inspire all those women who are thinking about a job change. <laughs> Definitely. So I did some hard labor and I was actually looking at studying mental health and addiction and my brother approached me one day and said you you know you've actually got you 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 can do this would you consider doing an apprenticeship and I had never thought about it didn't think it was possible for um uh, really a woman or a mum it wasn't very heard of to me um I just dove straight in and and um he was flexible with I'd fought so hard to keep my daughter that I wasn't prepared to be completely absent. A lot of the tradie hours can be really hard. Um, so I started at 7.30 and finished at 3. Um, and I, yeah, signed up with BCITO. They've been absolutely amazing. They've got like a whole sector for women, a principal advisor for women. She's absolutely amazing. And um, it's really like a whole community of women, empowering women, I got to the end of my first year and fell pregnant with my second daughter, um, who is just such a gift of recovery for me, and um, took mm, some time off on maternity leave. I gradually staged myself out of the physical hard labor um, to, at the end of it, I was painting fences and um, stuff like that. So um, it's quite unheard of to be pregnant on site. Um, but I guess I just like to be different. <laughs> um, I definitely crossed, it crossed my mind and it was, um, suggested to me not to go back once I'd had her, that it's too hard, um, to, you know, be a mum with a young child and be doing such a physical job. I returned to work when she was 10 months old. I was still breastfeeding. Um, I staged my, I was allowed to stage my reintegration back onto site. She wouldn't was refusing a bottle, so I would start um, five hours a day, three days a week. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely been a journey. Yeah, um, but I, I love it. I wouldn't change mm. it. Mm. Yeah, in the learning um, stages, because of course there's, there's the modules as well. There's yep. all the theory and yeah. stuff as well, um, and then there's the there's the on-site experience. Um, is addiction a permanent? challenge for you? Is it a challenge for anybody, realistically? Where are you at, if anywhere, with, with that? With my addiction now. So, I wouldn't say it's a challenge. For me, um, it's not a constant battle in my head anymore. There's definitely relief and freedom from that for me. I know I can't speak for anyone else, because everyone's different, but I've just definitely found such a beautiful and... Um, yeah, like my life is just something beyond my wildest dreams. 
and I wouldn't trade that in for the world. And I think having the routine, having the structure, having my daughter after coming so close to losing her and being able to be my authentic self has really taken me quite far away from the desire to use drugs. Like I don't even vape. I've, I, I don't do anything. Yeah. I even sometimes second question having a Panadol. <laughs> Bex, thank you. And thank you um, for sharing the story.